Well, good morning. I heard a story about a church that had an extremely tall steeple way up there. So they hired a professional painter to come and paint it. So he got his scaffold, he scaffolded all the way to the top, and he started at the top, of course, and worked his way down, and he got all the way to the ground, and he looked up there and noticed he had missed a couple of places right at the very top. So he scaffolded his way back up to the top, and uh, then he discovered when he got up there that he had run out of paint. Rather than go all the way down to the bottom for more paint, he looked around, nobody was looking. So he took his water jug, poured in the paint, stirred it up, hit those spots. All at once there was a clap of thunder, lightning. The voice came out of the clouds saying, repaint you thinner. <laughs> you know, we don't get old because we stop. We, 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 uh, we don't get old because we stop laughing. We get old because we do it. I'm sorry, I got that messed up. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm getting a late start today, so I may mess up several things today. I don't know. Uh, let me say a couple of things. Uh, next Sunday, uh, I will be here next Sunday. Then the following Sunday, I will be out. Uh, I'll be in my hometown going to, listen to this, my 60th class reunion. And you know what I don't like about going? I don't like to go to those things because I have to hang around with all those old people. I mean, it is disgusting. <laughs> and then I will be back the 18th, and then that will be our, our, last, our last Sunday together as uh, uh, interim, but hopefully not our last Sunday together, okay? All right, I may need this in a minute. I've, I've kind of been a, had a little knee issue going here. And uh, I'm not as old as Charles Stanley, but Charles Stanley sits on a stool now. Have you noticed that? So uh, I just want to see something. How many of you brought your Bible today? Hold it up. Wow, I'm impressed. Look over here. Look at these young people. I'm impressed. Okay, all right, good. When I'm preaching in a non-Baptist church, they usually say, open your Bible. If you don't have one, there's a Baptist close to you. He'll have one. Look on with them, okay? <laughs> now when I say open your Bible, they open their phones their laptops. I want you to open your Bible to the book of John chapter 14 and then just keep it open. Just keep it open today, okay? John chapter 14. We're going to read a few verses here and then we're going to skip around and read some more verses in the book of John. Uh, John chapter 14 verse 12. Truly, truly, Jesus is speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Do you, do you suppose he meant that? Do you think he meant that? Do you think he means it for us today? Or is it just for them? Greater works shall you do because I go to my Father. Well, he's going to tell us why that's going to happen. Look down to verse 16. But I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper and he will, that he may be with you forever. Now, when he gives the Holy Spirit to us, how long does the Holy Spirit stay with us? Till we mess up? Or does he stay with us forever? It says he stays with us forever. The Bible says even when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. Verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. 
The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit abide, abide with the people. But in the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit abides in the person. Old Testament, he abided with the people. New Testament, after Pentecost, he abides in the people. Uh, let's keep reading. Look over on uh, verse uh, 26, the same, um, same page. But the helper whom the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. That uh, I said to you. Uh, now let's skip over to chapter 16 and look at verses 7 and 8. But I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I go not away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then verse down, look down verse 13. The Holy Spirit is a person, not, a, not an entity. He's a person. He, he has per, God, the Bible says God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit has personality. He, he, uh, he can be grieved. He can be quenched. But I want you to listen to the personal pronouns that he uses in verses 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose of you what is to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and shall disclose it unto you. If the sin of the Old Testament was rejecting God the Father, and the sin of the New Testament was rejecting God the Son, the sin of our day is rejecting the God of the Holy Spirit. A true Christian life is a life that is filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Anything less than that is not, is not a true Christian. I think it was Vance Havard said one day, we've accepted abnormal Christianity so long as being normal that when we see a normal Christian, we think they're abnormal. You remember on the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They, some people thought they were drunk. They were acting differently. We'll never live a victorious Christian life until we understand the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I've been a Baptist most of my adult life. I didn't grow up Baptist. I, I grew up Methodist, as a matter of fact. I preached my first sermon uh, at the Shady Grove Methodist Church of Paris, Texas. But as, as I began to study the Bible, I realized I had many more things in common with Baptists than I did Methodists, so I made that switch. I was licensed to preach by First Baptist Church, Sulphur Springs, Texas. I was ordained to the gospel ministry by the Ross Avenue Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. I was educated Baptist. I graduated, I graduated from Dallas Baptist University with a degree in biblical studies. I graduated from Southwestern Seminary with a master's degree. But I, I believe that. I, I believe much, pretty much like Baptists. I mean, all Baptists kind of have their own opinion about things. Uh, if I ever get in trouble, it's because I believe more than what Baptists believe. Okay, I get a little, little bit more sometimes, and that gets me in trouble. But I, I believe to a large degree, listen carefully, I believe to a large degree, Baptists have neglected over the years to teach about the Holy Spirit. They have neglected to teach about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Consequently, the church today is what I said last Sunday, 85% in decline. 85% of the churches in America today are in decline. Now, what we've done is we started teaching the Holy Spirit, but we teach him as the doctrine, not as a person. Again, I have two degrees, one from university and one from seminary. But in neither one of those schools, both Baptist schools, neither one of those schools ever offered me a course in the Holy Spirit. They offered me courses in the life of Jesus. They offered me courses in theology, which is you know, the broad picture of God. But uh, neither in seminary nor in college was I ever offered a single uh, opportunity to take a course just in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe there's a reason why Baptists have reacted the way they have. About 120 years ago, literally, about the turn of the 19th century, there was a, a, a revival that swept across America. Some people called it a Pentecostal revival. There were three main parts of that revival. One was an emphasis upon uh, the Holy Spirit. For, you know, they, they hadn't done that before, but there was a, a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. There was an emphasis on speaking in tongues. Now, the word unknown tongue doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. If you have a King James Bible, it says unknown tongue. But look at the word unknown. It's in italics. That means it's not in the original language. And that's confused a lot of people. Paul said there's many languages in this world, and none of them are without meaning. But there was an emphasis on, on speaking in other tongues or languages. And then there was a, uh, a tremendous emphasis on, on emotionalism. A lot of emotionalism came out. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotion as long as it doesn't take the place of devotion. You know, we can go to a football game on Friday night and somebody can carry a little uh, big skin of blown up air over a white line. You know what we do? We jump up and down and we throw a fit and we high five each other. Then we come to church and stand there like we swallowed a curtain rod. <laughs> we got a face long enough to eat oatmeal out of a gasoline tank when we come to church <laughs> on Sunday morning. There's nothing wrong about being excited, but we simply ought to be excited about the right things. Well, because many mainline denominations thought this uh, revival, uh, Pentecostal revival, you might call it, was a little excessive, they, they backed away. Southern Baptists was one of those denominations. They, they backed away from the Holy Spirit. Again, rather than teach the Holy Spirit as a person, we started teaching the Holy Spirit simply as the doctrine. And uh, we're teaching altogether the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, in many cases, even denied those. But um, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our day. We need the whole power of the Holy Spirit as much today as we ever have. Uh, but again, there's, I think there's still a lot of excess in some areas. Uh, I, I think especially uh, with tongues, I think there's some denominations that, and I've talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about spiritual gifts, that put too much emphasis there. They, they say you're not even a Christian if you can't speak in tongues. They say you're not even a Christian if you can't speak in tongues. Others say you're not filled with the Spirit if you can't speak in tongues. I remember I had a man come to my church one day, and I knew when he came he was Pentecostal. But the next day I called him and asked him, I said, how did you enjoy the service yesterday? Oh, I won't be coming back. I didn't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he didn't hear anybody speak in tongues. Well, listen, if the Holy Spirit came to bear witness to Jesus and you heard about Jesus in that service, then the Holy Spirit was present. 
See, if you say, well, if I don't hear somebody speak in tongues, if, if that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit, then you've got the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the Holy Spirit. And that's not what the Holy Spirit came to do. Holy Spirit did not come to bear witness to himself. The Holy Spirit came to bear witness to Jesus. So when you have a church that is, uh, the Holy Spirit is active in that church, we're, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be emphasizing Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. He said, I've not come to emphasize myself, but I've come to emphasize him. Again, we saw that in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 26. So, but again, I, I've, I've been in churches where all they wanted to talk about was the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. I don't know why in the world King James translated that ghost. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost. He is a person. And he, again, he came not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Jesus. So, uh, Let's look at that. So, so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he comes and he bears witness to Jesus Christ. Okay? He emphasizes Jesus Christ. What about the Holy Spirit and the unsaved person? Well, listen to what it said in chapter 16 and verse uh, 8. It said, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You're not going to get saved without the Holy Spirit. If you have a church that quenches the Holy Spirit and grieves the Holy Spirit and doesn't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have people saved in that church because people aren't going to get saved. The Holy Spirit is the person who convicts the person of sin. So the Holy Spirit needs to be free in our churches. But you'd be surprised the number of people that have told me, let's not talk about the Holy Spirit, let's just talk about Jesus. Well, you can't talk about Jesus without the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Jesus real. Okay. So what about the Holy Spirit then in the life of a believer? Now there are five things I think takes place. Again, this is my opinion, but I think it's scriptural that happen when a person gets saved. Number one, when a person gets saved, you get born of the Spirit. John chapter three, verse three. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When we're born again, God's Spirit in heaven comes to inhabit our spirit and we're changed. The Bible says you can't even see the kingdom of God. You won't recognize the kingdom of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. He opens blind eyes. Satan has blinded our eyes, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in our hearts we be converted. So he opens our eyes. Next, and this is the one that's probably the most controversial. I believe that when we're saved, we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Let's look at the first, uh, let's see. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. I may have to sit down on the stool here in a minute. Somebody's trying to call me. Tell them to call me for lunch, okay? All right, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we are all been made to drink of the same spirit. Now what does it say there? It says by one spirit we're hot. We're all baptized into one body. Now here's where it gets a little bit confusing. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, John the Baptist said when, the, when the, uh, Jesus is going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So normally when somebody says to you, have you ever been, I think I'm going to give in, give up. Uh, when somebody says, have you ever been baptized in the Spirit, they're probably asking you, honestly, have you ever been filled with the Spirit? And let me go on with that because... When you're baptized into something, you're immersed into that, okay? I mean, you're just immersed into that. 
Okay, but when you get to Acts, it doesn't say that they were baptized in the Spirit. It says they were what? It says they were filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 says it again. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. This time there's no mention of, an, of some tongue they didn't understand, but they spoke the Word of God with boldness. So, we'll talk about that some a little bit later, but... Uh, to me, when you talk about what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, well, the evidence ought to have something to do with the purpose. Am I right or wrong? The evidence ought to have something to do with the purpose. Well, what's the purpose? Jesus said, the Bible says, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we will become what? Witnesses unto Him. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So to me, one of the evidence, the, the most important evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a changed life, number one. But secondly, we become a witness for Christ. Yet I know a lot of people that claim to have the gift of tongues who wouldn't walk across the street to tell somebody about Jesus. There's something wrong with that theology. Something desperately wrong with that theology. So, he places us in the body of Christ. Uh, number three, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, now let's turn, well let's look, I'll turn if you want to, you can go with me. First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter six. Well, let's quote it. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Know ye not that we know ye not that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom we have from Him, and we're not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God with our members. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell our person, our body, when we are uh, when we get saved. Number three, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians chapter. Uh, I'm running a little bit late. That's why I'm kind of hurrying myself. I need to slow down a little bit. Uh, we are uh, Ephesians 1.14. Let's read that. No. We're kept by the Holy Spirit. Okay, Ephesians. Um, let's just read 13. In him we also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having, uh, having also believed, you are sealed with him, but the, that is the Holy Spirit, until the day of promise. So we're sealed by the Holy Spirit when we get saved. We're sealed from what? He seals us. Jesus put it like this. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. For my Father who gave them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He seals, the Bible says, He seals us at the day of redemption. Paul said, I know whom I've trusted, and I'm persuaded that He's able to keep that which I've committed to Him against that day. Paul said, I'm persuaded neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Personally, I've never liked the term once saved, always saved. I don't like that term, but I like the term security of the believer. If we can't be secure in our salvation, there is nothing in life worth being secure about. If Satan, if, if Satan can take us out of God once we're in God, then he's stronger than God. In fact, in the, in the, let me just turn over a couple of uh, pages here. Listen to um, John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, that is the, the believers, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. 
And I guarded them that not one of them should perish, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Somebody said, well, Judas fell from grace. Judas was never under grace. Jesus tells us up front that he told the disciples up front, one of you is of the devil. But look at what Jesus did. He kept every one that God gave him. Now, don't you think if he kept them back then, he can keep them today? I believe in security for the true believer. I believe that very strongly. I believe when we're saved, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Now, while all this is true, and I believe it's true, as I've said many times in my humble but accurate opinion, the Bible still says this in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. Now, there's two imperative commands there. The first imperative command is, do not be drunk with wine. Now, Baptists have always emphasized that, you know, no alcohol. Uh, the church that I'm a member of right now is a Baptist church. But if you say that you drink a glass of wine every once in a while, you can't be deacon in that church. No alcohol. Alcohol destroyed my life as a kid. Alcohol took a daughter from me at the hands of a drunk driver. But I cannot go to the Bible and honestly tell you that the Bible forbids the consumption of alcohol. It forbids drunkenness. It forbids drunkenness. And it warns us about the danger of alcohol. But as Baptists, we've always said, you know, man, you know, leave that stuff alone and all that kind of... But, but, but we haven't emphasized the other part. Yes, it says be not drunk with wine, but it also says be filled with the Holy Spirit. How would you feel if you came home and one of these kids right here said to you, you know what? Our Sunday school teacher this morning was loaded. I mean, they were drunk, <laughs> staggering around the room. Boy, you would be on the phone or somebody would be paying a price. But what if they came home and said, Dad, I don't think my Sunday school teacher is spirit-filled. The same verse that says, don't be drunk, says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, why in the world would he make that comparison? Why would he compare something as precious as the Holy Spirit to being drunk? He's not comparing it. He's contrasting it. See, here's the deal. When you're drunk, what are you, you're controlled by something. You're controlled by the alcohol that you've consumed, right? It affects your vision. It, it affects your, uh, your, your ability to walk, to, to think, to reason, to rationalize. He says, don't do that. Don't let alcohol do that to you. Alcohol will destroy your life if you let it. And yes, I'll go ahead and say the best way to, to prevent it is to leave it alone. Just leave it alone. But, but here's the thing. But in the same way, he says, don't let alcohol do that to you, but let the Holy Spirit do that to you. Let the Holy Spirit control your mind. Let the Holy Spirit control what you see with your eyes, what you hear with your ears. Let it control your life. So our behavior should then be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And there's several reasons for that. Number one, and I don't think we really have to go any further than this, he commands it. This is an imperative. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, for one reason we need that is because we need the power to know the Word. We need the power to know the Word. You know, what did the Scripture tell us a moment ago? It told us that Jesus, will look at 1426. Let's go back. That's why I told you to keep your Bible. 1426, what did it say? For the Helper whom the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send to you in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, what I said unto you. So the Holy Spirit then is our teacher. The Bible is a spiritual book. It has a spiritual author. It was written by holy men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's filled with spiritual truth. But listen to what Paul said about the natural man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit. It says they're foolishness to him. How can he know them? I remember when I was uh, struggling with the Lord uh, before I was saved, I, I, was, I was obsessive in reading the Bible. I knew somehow intuitively that what I was looking for was in that scripture. But I'd read along and all at once I'd realize I don't have a clue what this means. I don't have a clue. Then I came across that verse one day. It says only, only a spiritual person is going to understand this. When you get saved, God opens your spiritual eyes, your spiritual ears to the truth that you couldn't understand from the Bible. And all at once, he becomes your teacher. You don't have to have a seminary degree to, to, to know the Bible. Did you know this would surprise some of you? Billy Graham never spent one day in seminary. You don't have to have a seminary degree to understand the scripture. But you need the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. Number two, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live what we read, what we know. The Bible's not just a book to be read. It's a book to be lived. James 1.22 says that we're to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Uh, we're to be witnesses for Christ. That power to do that comes from being like Jesus Christ, okay? Um, and again, the Holy Spirit says, when the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes and becomes part of our life, we will be like Jesus. He said, he will, he will glorify me. And uh, so, you know, when, you know why the disciples were called Christians? They were, the Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. In, in, in deaf language, this is a Christian. Nail scarred hands. That's a person, okay? Because they reminded people of Jesus. They called him a Christ person. Christ person. Because they reminded. Uh, let me ask you a question. H how many people do you remind of, uh, of Jesus? When people are around you, are they, re are they reminded of Jesus? You know, I ought to be able to say, somebody came in here during the invitation and said, hey, um, I want to know what Jesus is like. I ought to be able to say, well, go follow Sean this week or any of these guys. Go, go follow them. Listen to them. Watch them live their life and you'll see what Jesus is like. Amen? Or oh me. But the truth is, some of us, and Sean, I'm not talking about you. I've never followed you around. <laughs> some of us are telling lies about Jesus. Are we? We're telling lies about Jesus. We're not living our life like Jesus. You know, Jesus said if somebody comes to you and slaps you on the face, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Do you, do you do that easily? If somebody comes to you and says, walk a mile, walk two miles. There's people I'd like to kick an extra mile. <laughs> the Bible says you're to love our enemy. I've had trouble loving church members over the years. Bible says if somebody comes to you and asks you for your coat, give them your shirt also. That's what Jesus is like. 
But you know, I can, I've discovered, I don't know about you, but I can be awfully selfish at times. I don't want to do those things. But I want people to see Jesus in me more than anything else, more than anything else in this world. I want people to see Jesus in me. What is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? This denomination says this, this denomination says that. Let me tell you what I think. The, that baby's not bothering me. You just go ahead and say, that baby's not bothering me at all. I'm just glad they're here. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, and self-control. You want to know what Jesus is like? He's all of those. He's love, he's joy, long-suffering, gentleness, peace, self-control. He's all of those. So if you want to know what Jesus is like, there it is right there. And Jesus gives us the power to do that. We don't have the power to do that by ourselves. And so when, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't call attention to us. We call attention to Jesus. Amen? I was in a conference several years ago, uh, Bartlesville, Oklahoma. I, I forgot the, the even name of the conference, what it was, but it was, uh, I remember there were four speakers, five, I think. Jack Taylor was one, Manly Beasley was one, Ron Dunn was one, and uh, I can't remember the others. All those men I, I've learned to know by name, and I've had them all speak in my church at one time or another. But um, toward the end of the conference, I remember one of them was speaking, and he said, I want you to bow your head for a moment. He said, how many of you are, satis are not satisfied with, with the life you're living right now? Would you lift your hand? Well, here I am. I'm a preacher, ordained preacher, been to seminary. I wasn't about to lift my hand, but I wasn't satisfied with the life I was living at all. He said, just hold your hand up if you're not satisfied with the life you're living right now. If there's not as much power in your life as you think there ought to be, not enough joy in your life, all these things are the fruit of the Spirit. Well, finally, I did what any good Baptist preacher would do. I peaked. And I saw that most of the preachers in that auditorium, their hands were up. So selfish me, I finally lifted mine. I wasn't happy with my life. I was a pastor, been a pastor for several years, but I wasn't spirit-filled. I preached the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. You know what the letter does? It kills. Spirit of the law gives life. But I went back to church and I got, down on my, I got down on my knees in my office. I said, Lord, I need you. I need you in my life. I thank you that I'm saved. I know I'm saved and I know if I were to die today, I know I'd go to heaven. I know I don't deserve it. I'll never deserve it. You'd paid that price for me. But Holy Spirit, I want you to come into my life. I want you to fill me. Did I speak in tongues? No. Did I laugh? No. Did I cry? Yes. I wept my heart out. I did. All those years I'd wasted preaching the letter of the law. The next morning I apologized to the church. I said, I, I need you to forgive me. I've been a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal in here for the last few months. I've just made a lot of noise. Now, here's the thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I found out when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I was a leaky vessel. 
That's why that verse in, in Ephesians 5.18 says, be you continually, it's present action parts of, be continually being filled. Every day we take up that cross and follow him. Every day we say, Lord, fill me afresh today with your Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to close. I'm out of time. Uh, let me go back to what, something I said a moment ago. The difference between the baptism. Uh, I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a positional thing. I think the filling of the Holy Spirit is a conditional thing. There are no commands in the Bible to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. None. He said to go to Jerusalem, wait, and it'll happen to you. Okay? But there are commands in the Bible, as we've seen in, in this one, that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, well, preacher, tell me how to be filled with the Holy Spirit before we leave. Okay? Here's how you do it. You have to want it. You have to be. You have to come to the place where you realize that uh, my life is not filled. It's not where I want it to be. And then so we say, Lord, I, I, I need you. I need you to come in. Holy Spirit, I need you to come and fill me. And then you offer him an empty vessel. Are there any science teachers in here? Any science teachers? Science teacher. You know what the law of impenetrability is? Have you ever studied? Have you ever talked about that? It says two bodies of matter cannot occupy the same space at the same time. The law of impenetrability. That's true spiritually. You can't be on the throne of your life and invite Jesus to be on the throne of your life. One of you has to get off. So in order to put him on, you have to get off. So we offer him an empty vessel. And we say, Lord, come. Come into my life. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I mean, okay, if you haven't been saved, you never asked Jesus in your life, that's what you need to pray first. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins, okay? Now, when he comes in, the Holy Spirit's going to come in. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to control you, okay? Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to control you, but he's going to come in. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that means you're turning the control of your life over to him. You said, Lord, come in. I give you total control. I give you control of everything. My thought life, my private time, my recreation time. I give you control of my finances, every single bit. So let me ask you the question that I was asked those many, many years ago. Are you satisfied with your life the way it is right now? Do you have all the power you need? Do you have a hunger and thirst after righteousness? When you wake up in the morning, are you wanting to say, good morning, Lord, use me today. Whatever you, whatever, how you want to use me, wherever you want to take me, I'm yours. Why? Because I'm controlled by your Holy Spirit. That's what it means. You don't have to come down to the front to pray that prayer. You can pray that prayer right where you are. And just say, you can just say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I offer you, I give you my life today totally. I, I hold back nothing, nothing in reserve. I hold back nothing. I, I give it all to you. Holy Spirit, come. Occupy the throne of my heart. Make Jesus Christ real to me as only you can do that. Let's stand together, would you? Thank you for a little extra time this morning. Again, I got late, started a little bit late. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. And again, you don't have to come to the front. But if you're here today and you're like I, I, like I was that many, many uh, years ago when I was in that meeting, all you have to do is just tell him. The Bible says, if we being evil know how to give, give gifts to our children, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Just ask him. 
He's a gentleman. He won't force his way in. But he'll come in by invitation. Now, if you're a believer, he's already there. But he's not in control. He wants to be in control. That'd be the best decision you've ever made. So pray with me, right? You don't have to pray out loud. Silent prayers are loud in heaven. But if you're here today and you, you want the Father to fill you with His Spirit today, just pray this prayer with me. 